and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is Irreverent, Faith and Current Affairs. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Irreverent, Faith and Current Affairs. We have a full complement of vicars today. I don't know if there's a word, a collective uh, word for, uh, you know, three vicars, you know, multiple vicars, a, uh, a sanctity of vicars. Um, it's almost certainly a chapter. Is it a chapter? Okay, yeah, a chapter. Um, <laughs> fine, it's not as good as my one, but uh, yeah. So me, Jamie Franklin, Tom Pellet, and Daniel French, the three musketeers. Uh, how is it going, chaps? Tom, you are just looking very happy today. I, I'm, I'm looking uh, slightly luminous actually because all the light is at the front, um, and I haven't yet sorted the light in this uh, this room out properly. I don't know why. Um, well, you're you're I mean, transfiguring. <laughs> yeah, I'm you're transfiguring like, yourself. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you have three dwellings behind you, three chairs. So. That is true, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's all very symbolic. Um, I'm really good, <laughs> Jimmy. Um, well, I'm, I'm a little bit sad. Well, I'm happy to be here, but I'm sad because it means that we're missing. Uh, we had to cancel the school sports day, so I would have been scoring for our local church um, schools sports day, which would have been joyful as well. Um, yeah. because it's good to see them outside engaging in healthy competition yeah um, and and fair competition as well i assume tom obviously fair with me there yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but no um none of the controversy we've seen in the culture presumably if you know well, what i mean i i don't think they'll be taking the knee before every every race i hope um, well i wasn't i wasn't actually referring to that but that's that is um, <laughs> quite funny that's another <laughs> thing yeah how old are they seven years old yeah, seven year old. yeah just before the <laughs> just just before the spoon and egg race everyone takes the knee <laughs> <laughs> oh man funny time so uh, yeah so you weren't going to be here but we're pleased you are tom maybe the lord has a purpose uh in your well i'm sure he does i'm sure he does yep. i'm sure he's got a purpose in everything um daniel God French. Is working his purpose out yeah indeed mm. indeed daniel how, how are you today nice yeah, to see I'm you fine fine thank you great to be back after a few weeks i i was in cambridge a week or so ago and uh, uh met had lunch with rod Dreher and calvin robinson and a few others it was great yeah really nice. good so what what's rod Dreher like in person daniel is he is he a tall man? Is he short? Is this, you know, is he wide? Is he thin? Is, did something, did something particular stand out? Is he as, uh, he, as you imagined he would, he would be? Or? Yeah, I, th- I think so. He describes himself as somewhat hobbit-like. And I think right. that's probably a very good description. Actually. Okay. Yeah. He's, yeah. Um, he dresses well, uh, doesn't he? He's dressed smartly and stuff. Mm, yeah. And he's more, um, uh, he, he, he's a sort of quieter person, sort of, you know, he, his writing is obviously very, very sort of gregarious and out there. And mm. I think um, in, in person, uh, he's not so full on in that respect, you might think. So, um, mm. he's a, yeah, he's a deep thinker. He's, he's a, he, you know, he's a guy who, as he said, lives in his head uh, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a glorious way. And, um, uh, yeah, so it was great. It was great to have lunch yeah, and great to chat. And, Nice. Um, meet, meet in person on a glor- as it was a gloriously stunning day in Cambridge. Oh, lovely. Yeah. We, Cambridge, great place. We've had him on a reverend, haven't we? Yeah. You yeah. weren't here. You weren't here. here we, we should do We should do it. We should try and get him back mm. on because yeah. um, his his co-host, um, Kale Zeldon, would be good as well. He mm. Kale Zeldon actually follows us on Twitter, I noticed the other mm. day, which uh, so I thought, oh, oh you know, maybe good. he listens, yeah. maybe listens to the show. Um, yeah. Good least, guy. Yeah. yeah. Very, very um, between them. Um, there's a fantastic, it's a fantastic podcast 
they had, didn't it? General yeah. Eclectic, to yeah. shout out for it there. It's very, yeah. very good. Yeah. Uh, they, they had an excellent episode with Matt Walsh, which I've mentioned before mm. um, a couple of weeks ago. Really good. Really good, actually. I mean, really important in terms of like stuff he was saying about the family and things like that. I know, I know it's a, I know it's a, an American context, but increasingly relevant to our context, mm. as as we'll see. Um, yeah, no, it on. translates well. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, okay, well, just to say for people who are thinking, you know, what's this podcast I've I've stumbled into last uh, last week's podcast doing really well, by the way. We got a big for some reason we got a massive bump in our stats on Sunday, so I don't know why. Sometimes things like that happen, you know, somebody shares us or something. So anyway, that's doing really well. Um, we are vicars, well, you know, priests in the C of E, various stripes, and uh, we talk about current affairs from a christian perspective that's it basically but it appears to be some kind of crazy usp that we've stumbled upon uh, to provide uh, commentary on all mm. the things that people are talking about so that's what we do in the show but we off- we like to start with a prayer and a reading from scripture um because we believe that scriptures are relevant to what we're living through today and i believe tom you're going to share something with us from uh, uh, yeah, yeah. one of one of the more shall we say controversial passages in the new testament Romans chapter one. Is, that, is it controversial? I mean, only controversial if. Um, I mean, it's also the sort of. If you don't of, like what of, it says. Well, if you don't like what it says, if, if you're not a Christian, I guess. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> but I guess but there are all sorts of things that are controversial if you're not if you're not the thing that you're, they're aimed at, isn't it? I mean, you know. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I are we going to start with the prayer though? I think it's always yeah. sensible. Yeah, please, prayer. please. Should we do? Should we? Um, should we say should the Lord's do, prayer? Yeah, just do the Lord's prayer. And I'm, try and try and remember the words this week, Tom. Uh, mm, embarrassing. Yeah. It was embarrassing oh, last week. It, it, it was. Uh, it's the sort of thing that you, you sort of worry about and then you, you get it wrong. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. So, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. 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 Do you know what the problem was last week? You said to me, and I did, I, I was very fast this week. So sorry to those who said, do it slower, but if you can do it slower, I, for, I just forgot where I was because it was so slow. Uh, so, you know, I do know the Lord's Prayer, guys. They teach it to you in Vicar College. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before. No, they don't. That, that is one of the, um, uh, <laughs> it's one of the nightmares, isn't it, of presiding that you'll be completely shown up. Mm. And forget it in the middle of some great service. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's the one that's next to the nightmare of forgetting the name of the deceased in the uh, yeah. service. Or, or the people or, getting married. Well, yeah. yeah, the worst was probably the baptized. Or, baptized yeah, the gender, name. Getting the gender wrong. <laughs> oh, no, well, I, I, I don't know. I think sex, I think... Daniel. It should be sex. Let's not let's not fall into this. It's sex. <laughs> yeah, we had a long conversation about this last week. Uh, no, I think getting. I think probably the deceased in the funeral is the worst one. They're all pretty bad, though. They're all pretty bad. Shouldn't be done. Then wedding. <laughs> wedding when, when a baptism i mean if you if you get to the actual point of baptism like what is the name of this child um you could just sort of mumble because you only have to say the first name can't you, you do, just yeah. say you could just say i baptize you <laughs> you know it does it's not like a legal thing is it? and the lord knows the lord knows who you're referring to really child. Just say, child. i baptize you child i baptize you in the name of the... <laughs> i i had um a couple years ago uh who he was called Charles and she was called Donna. Um, and uh, they, they presented themselves at the, on the wedding day. 
as like they've had sort of massive sort of makeovers that were quite funny and it was just it was just you couldn't stop looking really mm, yeah. uh, and at the um it was a university chapel um up, up in scotland and um i i suddenly went into sort of robert runcie mode and said do you charles take diana i mean donna <laughs> <laughs> it was really difficult yeah. and another one where um th- there was a there was a lady she was called Julie, and I realised that her, um, it was, he was a famous cricketer, actually, from Kent, and he was a- surnamed Andrews, and I realised she was going to become Julie Andrews. Oh, nice. Uh, I just got the giggles, really, you know, what you do when you're sort of 29, <laughs> newly ordained, and you just start, <laughs> start sort of humming to yourself the sound of music and think, Julie <laughs> Andrews. We're before real, the, before real the bitterness danger. and cynicism are set in. We're, we're yeah. in real danger of falling into, falling into the vicar trap of talking endlessly about, uh, about occasional offices, so we should stop that now. Come on, let's have, let's have Romans <laughs> Let's one. have some scripture. Let's have okay. some Romans 1. So, um, Romans 1. Um, so, some uh, background. This is a letter by Paul. It's his longest letter. It's his most... Uh, the, the letter which probably... I think it's fair to say most fleshes out his ideas about salvation uh, and about grace. It's his. Um, it's a very influential letter on the church, uh, and especially um, on the um, Reformation. Um, it sort of sparked um, Martin Luther uh, to rethink what grace was um, in the, um, uh, the beginning of the Reformation. But um, just this little bit of it um, is. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things they have made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, or birds, or animals, or reptiles. So there's a lot going on in this passage, and it's mm. um, uh, and it's sort of, Worth, worth just unpicking a few bits. So who, who is it he's talking to first? He's talking, I think, um, about the, um, the Greek, as, as Paul put it, the Gentiles, so non-Jewish people, people who do not know God through the scriptures. That's important. They don't know God through the scriptures. They know God not by what is written, but by what they can see in the world about them. So uh, what, they, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So the idea here is that all humanity has some concept of God, not a full concept of God by any means, because that's full concept of God. It's only found in the scriptures, only particularly in the revelation of Christ. But they have enough of an idea about God to know what they should and shouldn't be doing. And what they're doing is uh, despite the fact they perceive him, they are exchanging his glory for images resembling mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles. And there's an obvious first level sort of uh, reference here to idols, so literal idols, which of course um, the, uh, the the ancient world, indeed the modern world, a number of religions still do uh, worship um, uh, 
and of course in the bible we have a number of uh, stories about idol worshipping um particularly the the golden calf and the wrath of god against uh, the israelites because of that you know they turned that was the, that was the the israelites turning away from the knowledge but this is probably talking more about the gentiles the greeks the non-israelites so i think though it's not unreasonable to to go uh, beyond the sort of literal interpretation and have a, a, have an a, analogy here which is that um in general the the root cause of um uh, sort of sin is not worshipping god but worshipping something other than god instead of god and romans goes on to say that 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 this um uh this innate um sort of failing of humankind and i think that's fair to say that it is an innate failing mm. of humankind we tend to fall into idolism um unless we're careful is the reason that god gives us over to sin mm. um uh in in a, in, a, in a way um augustine put it as people got what they wanted <laughs> mm. uh you know adam and eve got what they wanted they got freedom they put something else in the place of god namely their own desire and as a result they gained a disordered desire um uh, which cascaded down through humanity that's that's what original sin is mm -hmm. so here we are um it's 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 in, you know there are a number of things we could say people are putting in place of um the truth of god i think currently the biggest problem is people are putting the truth of the self in front of the truth of god mm. i we we it's it's almost a solipsism which is a technical term for sort of self worship mm. um that our wills what we desire what we uh, think we perceive are placed above and beyond the um the place of god uh and therefore people who are claiming to be wise are actually being foolish they're being foolish because they're taking something that's transcendent and replacing it with their own limited idea of what reality is mm. and so and 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 it, and it causes all sorts of catastrophe i think um it causes a lot of this transgender catastrophe which is all about self perception overriding the the, the created order um uh you know and again that creative order which shows something that's that of, of of god you know um so we're made in god's image um what can be known about god is plain um because god has shown it to us in his created order so overriding that with our wills is making um humanity very foolish indeed um and i think this is one of the um, one of the, the sort of cardinal reasons that that are that you know what paul is talking about is a creation theology he's talking about a world that's disordered from the way that it should have been anyway i'll stop there and ask if any either of you have any anything to add to my sort of miniature homily um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think um the 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 sort of summary verse is a little bit two two verses after where you finished um yeah, yeah. where it says they exchanged the truth about god for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed yeah. forever and it sort of indicates that human beings have a sort of religious propensity even when they don't worship god and i think there's something you see in the secular world all the time everywhere you know this kind of i mean we'll talk about some of these manifestations of religious sensibilities later on in the show but just there is a desire for human beings to worship something so if they don't worship god they worship something else something he created and i think i'd go i go even further than the thing about the individual i'd say it's the individual will that is is yeah. the object of worship so the will now is in the position where um it can delineate reality 
even if even if something is quite clearly not reality. So you know the 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 transgender thing is is the sort of most extreme example of this. You know everyone knows that men are men and women are women, but but because somebody wills that not to be the case, that has to be or, or rather that subordinates the actual ontological and biological reality of sex um, to to that person's will. So I think that's I think that's uh, what I would say about it. Yeah. So in some ways, it's like it's actually. It's obviously a um, very sort of gloomy um, passage in lots of ways, but there's actually a sort of positivity in there because it, it it shows you that people do desire, or at least people are on some level um, desirous of an object of worship. It's just lots of people, particularly in our culture, are very very confused about about that that impulse and how it should be manifested. Mm. Could I could I add to that? I think what we could easily forget as well from the uh, first century is that when people created, say, say you know, in, in your Greek house, you created a little shrine with some idols. Uh, your understanding was not that that was a piece of wood or stone, that, but somehow that was a channel to, you were somehow containing the kind of spirit or controlling the spirit uh, of uh, some kind of deity, some kind of spiritual power or manifestation, you know that um, mm. uh, so that you would. It, it wasn't that you were stupid, you know, and you were thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I'm bowing before a statue of Zeus. Uh, you, the general understanding was that that somehow Zeus was being placated and controlled and tuned into through this idol, so that the the idol has a spiritual danger with it. And I think that what we can, you know, I, I think it's just becoming increasingly clear at the, at the moment. I know we're going to talk about things like what happened at Glastonbury um, subsequent to Road versus Wade, but, you know, that there can be a, uh, we, we miss the, the underlying sort of dark forces that idolatry also tunes into. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it's that that side of it's easily missed, and likewise in the in the idolizing of the self, mm. we're, we're actually scratching and tuning into um, powers that are not just psychological or within our head, but if if you get the kind of the, the biblical cosmology, we're potentially opening ourselves up to to sort of wider, darker spiritual chaos. Mm. You know, we're, yeah. we're sort of creating our own kind of um, Ouija board. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're turning ourselves into that, that through through idolatry because it is not God-centred. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, I and I think, for me, another thing this speaks to is that sort of lie that um, modern society takes as the fundamental gospel, really, is that, is that without self-actualization without without being able to follow the every whim of the will uh that that, that, that you're not being um that, that, that you're not being uh authentic authentic but but yeah. or, or at least other people so so for example the sort of old-fashioned sort of uh, idea uh that you know you might be able to love a sinner but hate a sin is is, is still an eth uh, you know it's not allowed within within the, this idea because the whole point is that that what people desire um is is in the, in the 21st century 
a, such a core part of their personality that to deny it is to deny them. Um, mm. And this um, linking back round to Augustine uh, is, is, is a problem because we're, we're meant to desire God in that way. And in that case, it would be true because to desire God with all your heart, soul and mind, which is the sort of end of end of Christianity, so to speak, the, 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 what you want and the means mm. as well both of them is um, to deny that would be to deny someone's selfhood but because people have swapped truth which is god with a lie then uh, and 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 put a creature in that place and certainly a, the desires um, that a creaturely fleshly paul would probably call them um uh then then uh th then they mistake authenticity for a lie and that's what paul says here they, they mistake they exchange truth for a lie and, and I think what we often see in that is the kickback that um, often any criticism of that way of thinking, you know, say, for instance, the, the kind of woke ideological tropes that we see that to kind of even cough cough at those is to get ad homine attacks, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because it's felt as if we are ripping into their kind of core self. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this so is, you get this violent reaction back at it, which you know we all we all become so sort of very aware of. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to say it's this um, this value of, of um, freedom of choice, um, which is the paramount value in our culture, and uh, you see it with the with the pro choice movement. I mean, if you think about it, the whole notion of just having a choice just for the sake of it is kind of empty. I mean, a choice. Um, the value of a choice is dictated by the content of the choice that you make. Just having a choice in itself is not really a, is not really a, a value with any substance if you think about it, because you can choose to do anything. It's just a free floating idea that we should, yeah. we should have a sort of um, unrestrained ability to make a spontaneous decision without. Sure. Without any kind of influence, which Terry, is absurd when you think Terry, about it. Terry Pratchett pokes fun at this in one of his books. Now, Terry Pratchett, of course, was an atheist um, and a humanist, uh, but but a very clever one. I don't know if either of you read many Terry Pratchett books. Have you? No. no. Um, okay. And he pokes fun at this because one, one character demands of another the right for, to freedom, and uh, and and the other one uh, basically points out that, that the apes are free. You know, up their trees, slinging shit yeah. at each other that's freedom you know we're, we're, we're constantly constrained by by mm. by something more than that to become something more than that you know freedom as a, as a, as, a, as a end in itself is meaningless um mm. what are we free to do that now that's a different thing entirely that's a different mm. question yeah, well, but this is what happens when a, a culture moves away from its uh, judo-christian roots you know it forgets its scholastic heritage it doesn't have any fluency to be able to have the kind of conversation that we're having now everything becomes emotive and emotivism and uh it, it's just a, a sort of a bleating of rhetoric uh and, and in the end it's about power isn't it it's about oh you're trying to you're in denying me this or in arguing against this you're denying me this so you're you're trying to overpower me rather than what you know what i hope in in all three of us's heart is instead where we're trying to propose you know a loving way to live your life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's never loving to leave someone in a lie. Mm. That's, that's a, that's a, yeah. You know, 
just one difference between us and the scholastics is that there was probably less obscene language with the scholastics. So are we obscene? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just joking. I'm just joking, Tom. Apologies to any Sorry. under 18 listeners. No, it's okay, Tom. I'm sure we can get away. With, I'm sure we can get away with one expletive. You have that in PPs nowadays, don't you? Um, yeah, that's good. We should move on. We should move on. So to to the first uh, story mm. of the week, which I, well, I found quite funny actually. Um, women cannot be born with a penis. Boris Johnson has said. It's quite remarkable. You just stop there and you think it's amazing that this is a headline story in the Telegraph, isn't it? Women cannot be born with a penis. Mm. Um, the prime minister says he says no, says he sees no reason to dissent from a ruling by World Swimming that bars any trans athlete who has who have trans mm. athletes, sorry, who have reached male puberty from competing in women's events. Asked whether a woman can be born with a penis. Mr. Johnson said not without being a man. So that, that clarifies that clarifies the situation no end. I think that's the end of it, basically, isn't it? I think that's is that the end of the conversation now? <laughs> I doubt it. If only uh, this will go on and on. The problem yeah. is that sometimes I mean Boris Johnson's a bit random, isn't he? He's slightly random as to whether he's talking scubala or or whether he's talking <laughs> sense. <laughs> is it all right to swear in Greek? Yeah, that's fine. So Paul used it. That's um, fine. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, there'll be filters. The underage. <laughs> yeah. YouTube will censor us uh, once again. Greek, <laughs> Greek swearing. And, we apologise uh, to New Testament <laughs> Greek scholars, by the way. It's uh, Philippians three uh, eight. By the way, um, the um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's been so back and forward on this. I suspect it kind of kind of really uh just depends on um how recently he's spoken to carrie doesn't it i mean yeah, i think it depends of me thinks, um it depends um, on his uh on who he thinks he's going to appeal to by saying these kind of things well exactly he's he's, he's sort of um he's all things to all people but not in the in the positive way that paul was, was talking oh, yeah. um yeah. uh yeah. Cause, well because well, paul isn't talking when he said that paul's not talking about having no morals scruples or um or, or, or a foundation of our of our of our concepts of, of what you know who we he's, are. He's not just saying say whatever. Say whatever gets you here to, um, to you know curry favour with them, is he? Uh, no, um, um, he's he's saying um, saying be I mean contextual as uh, as our, as our uh, as our scholar of uh, context uh, mission contextual mission would say uh, is talking about about be, uh, about using. Um, using where people are to, to, to talk to them about your truth rather than sort of just floating around at random. Um, yeah, well, it's good to know. I mean, Boris Johnson knows quite a lot about women, I suspect, over the years. Uh, and uh, he's presumably uh, something of an expert in... <laughs> whether or not whether or not women can have penises yeah. um, it's good it's good um so the other the other thing I, I thought it'd be good to discuss at the top of the show was this extraordinary video that uh jeremy vine um released uh well i, th I think he must have yeah. sent it into the jeremy vine show. have you seen have you seen this no uh, go on this he's, is on, his, he's on his deathbed isn't he with, uh, with dreaded video. covid he, he has he has covid apparently and well he's got a positive test so Let's say he's got COVID and he's he's kind of put his, I assume it's his phone sort of on the far side of his sofa and he's lying on his front with a cushion in front of his face, sort of pretending to be unwell. 
and then do, do you want to listen to I'll, I'll play a little clip just just for uh we'll just listen to it because uh, we don't really have any technology on the show um and we can we can see what we make of oh no there's an advertisement ah oh, there's an advertisement you can see how uh you can see how terribly unprofessional this show is can't you <laughs> Anyway, I'm just waiting for the advert to finish. But he's basically sort of, it's like, you know, when you're a child and you ring up the school, you know, when you're sort of playing truant and you're sort of pretending to be unwell with this sort of fake, you know, this, oh, I'm, oh, I'm awfully sorry. And you sort of, you know, trying to make yourself sound as sad as possible. Yeah. But actually you're not sad at all because you're about to get a, a day off school. Not that I ever did that. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> he sort of, he, he closes his eyes every once in a while. So I'm in bed with it, with it, with COVID. Previously, years gone by, I would have come into work with this. You can walk, you can work. Obviously, that's not possible now. Going by our show, out of the presenters, 100% of our presenters have got it. That means, let me install, that means there must be a lot of it about. Why isn't the government mentioning it? Why isn't the government saying... <laughs> <laughs> Why isn't the government mentioning it? Oh man, just I mean, come on now. It's it, it's 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 also worth mentioning that when he says 100 percent of our presenters have got it, they show so, a picture of one other person. So <laughs> there are two people. One of them also, might probably had it and gave it to the other one, right? It's not well, it's not the, the most scientific. I, mean, I love it. Like, let's just extrapolate from this sample group of the three people I know uh, in my team. To mm. everywhere, hundred percent like of our presence has got it. Therefore, hundred percent of Britain must have it. You know, must be a lot of it about. You know, there's another video here which says apparently he pos- tested positive for COVID over Christmas as well, which is only mm. six months ago. Well, someone was pointing out uh, um, that there seems to be a sort of uh, a cycle now of boosting people. Then they get the boosters wane off because uh, they get worse after about twelve weeks. And then you get another wave. I mean, the question is, well, I think Claire Craig pointed out. You know, are we? Are we just in an endless cycle of jabbing people, then inf- then getting infections sort of, you know, <laughs> five months later and then another wave of jabs to counter it and then they wear, you know, yeah. it's, it's, you know. Uh. I, I could, when I, when I could, I'm on the Daily Mail website looking at this and there are two out of four videos which are recommended where Jeremy Vine is saying he's got COVID at other times. So now he's had it at Christmas and then there's another video saying, Jeremy Vine reveals he's still testing positive for COVID. It's like he can't possibly, you know, escape COVID. And is he calling for like return to masks? And yeah, yeah. So he's saying, "Oh, why is it coming?" Basically, this video is like him. His argument is, "Oh, I'm so unwell. I can't believe the government didn't tell me not to go outside because now I've got COVID. I've got this cough, mm. and I'm lying lying here so unwell and so <laughs> like, like a sleeping puppy." Um, <laughs> the best bit is when he goes, I've got a <coughs> cough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is definitely what you do when you're on the phone to your employer, aren't you? <coughs> I've got a cough. <coughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably the worst acting since Matt Hancock <laughs> pretended to cry over the, yeah. uh, over the vaccine rollout. Um, Tom, did you say, though, that, I mean, things are, there are fresh calls, aren't there? For There are fresh calls. Um, the Guardian have had a leader by Francis Ryan, who is a journalist, apparently. Um, a few small changes will make a big difference to millions of vulnerable people, he says. Uh, 
and uh, he wants, you know, are are those changes that we should lock everyone in the country up for six months. No, I well, he's not called for that yet, and I'm sure that'll come. He's he's asking for masks, you know, really useful measure that, and uh, and uh, testing. Because uh, the country's got loads of money and can afford to spend another few billion pounds without any trouble, and uh, and sort of mandated um, uh, sort of working from home if you're positive, or you know mandated uh, isolation. Um, now, which is which is again, you know, it, ca- can we really uh, afford to keep doing this? I don't think we can. It destroys mm-hmm. industries. We found that during a wave, it destroys industries, um, which is. Because most people are kind of absolutely fine just at home, aren't they? And it must destroy our natural immunity. We need bugs. We all need to interact with each other. Interact with uh, each other? You're sounding like a dangerous conspiracy theory now. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know. yeah. So I had this yeah. feeling that society was actually about <laughs> people mixing, you know, and uh, mm. what have you. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think the idea that those who are vulnerable <clears throat> must keep... Um, I'm just really sad because, you know, there are vulnerable people and I, I understand their concerns, right? You know, obviously I understand their concerns, but they, they've been vulnerable for a lot of them. You know, it's not a new thing, but they, you know, some of them are only just re-emerging now to be hit with a, with a wave of fear propaganda uh, and, you know, to, to, to go away again. What sort of, um, what sort of quality of life is sort of, uh, would it be to be sort of requested to isolate for sort of eight months of a year uh, mm. with, with brief periods where you might just poke your head up back into society before being demanding that you go back in again. Um, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not kind. Mm. Um, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not actually good for them. Um, mm. I mean, I, mean I, you know, I can't speak for all of them, I, but I don't think it would be good for me, certainly if I was vulnerable, uh, mm. to, be, to be locked away for you know, eight months of a mm. year in order to avoid every single bug. Um, yeah, I mean, reading this piece, Tom, it's like, it reminds me of when you read well anything in the guardian but but just generally these kind of metropolitan elites talking about a reality that i just don't recognize mm. in the world and in people's lives um you know when she's going on about you know we need to have we need to have a four, people need to, uh, loads of people haven't had a fourth covid jab and everyone's getting sick over and over again and i don't want to be writing this but we have to recognize the reality and blah 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 i mean in my just everyday life um people you know i work with and all that kind of stuff I don't know anybody who's unwell with COVID and I haven't known anyone who's unwell with it for months, I would say. Mm. And nobody that I know really wears a mask anymore. Lots of people have been vaccinated. Lots of people haven't, but I just don't see any of it. I just don't but see any of this. This, this, this is not reality. This paragraph where it says, um, I think it's a uh, woman, by the way. Oh, sorry. It's, it's, I mean, she looks, she looks very, she's got a photo, but she looks very upset. France is right. Okay. Very um, upset with the UK government. Um, government. The, this is this is what she this is what she says. Then um, there will be few greater casualties, though, than the three point seven million clinically extremely vulnerable people, especially the five hundred thousand who are in- immunocompromised and can't get much or any benefit from a booster jab. Trying to avoid the country, the virus in a country that's forgone all safety measures means risking your life when you pop to the shops. Ministers who are content for repeated coronavirus infections just become part mm-hmm. of British life, like every other every other uh, you know um, illness. illness ever. And, um, and, and uh, any kind of hazardous to say, um, aspect to become, of reality. Are content, are content for isolation to be part of clinically vulnerable peoples. But I mean, what, what's her suggestion? Because we know that, 
I mean, I mean, maybe she believes that masks and, and testing actually work, but we know they don't because we had a massive wave with masks and testing. Yep. We really did. Mm. And isolation. And then we had another massive wave that came and went just as much without. Uh, her, her suggestion is yeah. just masks, isn't it? At the end, basically, this is this is a uh, this is mass propaganda. This piece, that's what yeah. she's that's what she's saying. But so, I mean, but it's the, the tyranny of safeityism, isn't it? But that, if, there's clearly within those within that constituency a group of people for whom um, this this is something that they want to pro- to promote. It's part of their worldview. Um, there's, there's this whole load of virtue signalling that comes from it. You know that. Um, uh, and for you know, for ordinary people who have to get on with 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 life, uh, this is a completely different reality. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yep. yep. I, I just think there are people who like who liked who liked the lockdowns, who liked the whole COVID theatre, um, and um, uh, they, they miss it. Yeah. They're, they're ideologically committed to this because this is. Yeah. I mean, partly this is about bashing the Tory government. But also it's about, um, as you say, Daniel, it's about virtuing because it's an opportunity to say, oh, you know, I care about clinically vulnerable people and nobody else does. And why isn't the government doing something about it? So it's simultaneously doing that and sort of promoting the uh, a vision of, of the state as the saviour of, of society. Oh, yeah. So you can't you can't you can't solve this on a mm-hmm. on a local or individual level. It has right. to be the state. The state has to be the one mm-hmm. to um to offer a solution to it so it's a thoroughly ideological position and that's you know this is what what i'm saying it doesn't really relate to anything in reality just like just like jeremy vine's not really unwell i mean he he's obviously got a he's obviously got a cold um well i mean say obviously it's not obvious at all when you look at him because if you just look at his face the only thing that indicates that he's unwell is that he's sort of doing some crinkly thing with his eyebrows he doesn't he doesn't really look he doesn't look unwell and he doesn't seem particularly unwell you know and if that's if that's the mm. price that we pay for um having a society in which we're not mm. tyrannized over by a covid uh, regime then i think al- although the the video in itself is quite distressing to watch uh, i think it's quite a low price to pay really mm. but the thing with the branch covidian metropolitan elite types is that they they are financially cushioned enough from mm. this they won't be for very to, long yeah they won't be for very long <laughs> <laughs> to, to not feel it at the moment you know that if you have to choose between bread and butter issues between actually feeding your children and getting out um, or being in a perpetual furlough, lockdown, work from home, masked, etc. You know, I, I just think it, it, it actually, this whole thing in the last two years showed that division within society, just as Brexit and Remain did, mm. that, there, that there's, what, the differences are actually widening, you know, mm. Yeah, and, and there's an irony there, isn't it? Because this is ostensibly, yeah. articles like this are ostensibly written, you know, uh, in favour of the, or speaking up for the marginalised and vulnerable and so on. But really, it takes no account of the socioeconomic reality of the working class or immigrant classes or any kind of marginalised mm. class, really, uh, mm. because, because they're the ones who suffer when society is locked down and, uh, you know, they can't work, they can't open their businesses. Uh, many of them are on sort of, you know, 
zero hours contracts or minimum wage jobs or they're paid by the hour or whatever it might be so it's just a completely different world and i think these these yes. people are quite out of touch but uh, we should move on chaps to the big story of the week which comes to us from the u.s uh, which is clearly the um, majority ruling in the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. which struck down Roe versus Wade, 50-year-old 50, uh, 50 ruling, which is finally um, overturned. Now, the just we just we it's good to just be technically correct about what's happened. Uh, basically, there, there was a federal... Um, there, up until this point, for the last 50 years, as a result of Roe v. Wade, there was a federal uh, constitutional right to abortion which was guaranteed to all Americans. Now, as, as I understand it, I think that that constitutional right um, applied to abortion at any point during a pregnancy. I could be, I could be wrong about that, but I think that that's what I heard uh, about it. Um, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But essentially what's happened with Roe v. Wade is because it's been overturned on the basis that the Constitution doesn't guarantee a right to abortion, which it clearly doesn't, um, it is now the states who are going to make up their mind individually as to what their laws about abortion right. should be. So regardless of what anyone else says about this, it is a it is a more democratic situation because now the people will have a, a role in determining what states laws on abortions are. And it's not just it's not just made up. Sorry, um, the situation is not just determined for the people on the basis of what the Supreme Court says, because, of course, the Supreme Court justices are not elected democratically, although they are appointed by democratically elected leaders. So um, it's, think, it is it is a more democratic situation in that sense. So that's technically what's happened. Go on, yeah, Tom. Well, that's absolutely what's happened. I mean, the, the ruling in, for Roe versus Wade was one of a number of quite... Um, uh, sort of uh, what you might call activist rulings by judges in that time. And I think it went, the reasoning is, is, is particularly thin. It's something like um, there's a right to privacy. So therefore there's a right to contraceptive. And then that, because in order to enforce a ban on contraceptives, uh, you'd need to breach the right to privacy, mm. uh, uh, which uh, was then um, basically applied straight on to Abortion, um, which, uh, you know, as, as if there was no other sort of. Um, so I, I believe um, the, the, the chief justice or, or one of the one of justices, at least, I don't know if there are, is a chief justice, has said that they, some of those others should be revisited as well, because there's no yeah. right to there's no right to access to contra- contraceptives in the um, in, in the in the Constitution. That's not what the Constitution says. It simply says mm-hmm. you have a right to privacy, which is, which is different. You know, yeah. um, so you can't just sort of. Um, through judicial activism, expand a right to mean something that's not there. That's not the point of a constitutional uh, democracy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so exactly. purely, purely objectively, and, and I think this has been uh, accepted by a number of even pro-abortion campaigners over the years, uh, that the ruling on Roe versus Wade was wrong and therefore you know, is right to have stopped it, purely objectively. Um, yeah, which, but that's not the way it's being seen, obviously, in the culture. It's being seen as an assault on... On women's rights. Um, I, I mean, obviously, we don't want to sort of just talk about this in the abstract, because it's, it's very easy to kind of have another sort of general conversation about, you know, our view on abortion. I think we've made it very clear what, what we think about it. Um, one of the one of the things which I found very interesting uh, was the reaction of, of, of certain people in the in the US, um, calling for, well, in New York, in 
particular, calling for a sex strike, um, which is basically, I don't know what this sort of group is that's behind this, but essentially it's a group of um, feminists responding to Roe versus Wade by saying, well, if you're going to take away our constitutional, constitutional right for abortion, we're going to stop having sex with men. Um, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? Because it's it's uh, it's a kind of puritanical reaction to the ruling. I mean, in New York, uh, pre- uh, I think um, New York allows abortion pretty much up to term anyway. Yeah. But it's interesting that the response is that um, we won't have sex, which mm. is kind of, I mean, it's not exactly the same view as a Christian view, but it's not too far away, which is to say well, that, uh, to say that a man shouldn't have sex with a woman unless he's prepared to take responsibility for through the, through the institution of, of holy matrimony. Yeah, through the institution. Funny, isn't it? How things have got how things are almost going full oh. circle. It's a return to chastity. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's I mean it's it's so it's so sort of um it's so it's so sort of clear what they're saying. It's it's kind of it's almost un- unbelievable. Um because SCOTUS overturned Roe v. Wade, we cannot take the risk of an unintended pregnancy. Therefore, we will not have sex with any man, including our husbands, unless we are trying to become pregnant. I mean, that's like almost a Roman Catholic view of, of sex. I mean, it's not exactly because, you know, they wouldn't quite put it like that. But that's essentially what they're saying. If, if So the Roman Catholic mm. position would be, you know, you have sex and it's, it's wrong within the sexual act to, to for foreclose the possibility of conception using contraception right yeah. so so that's the position it's like so the sexual act each and every sexual act should be um should be open in principle to conception and you should not do something that makes conception any less likely because the sexual act is intrinsically tied to reproduction now uh-huh. the Ang- anglican view is a little bit more um, it's a little bit more yeah, it's a little bit more nuanced, but but nevertheless, there is still the there is still the link between reproduction and, and well, we, we say, uh, the we matrimonial say, act in in the Book of Common Prayer. Right, and it, even in, even in the of marriage. Sorry, sorry John. even in even in the common worship, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, common worship is a bit more fuzzy, though, isn't it? The, anyway, the anyway, delight, the, delight and tenderness of sexual union is 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 intrinsically linked with. The bringing up of children. I yeah, mean, exactly. Like, yeah, but, but the point the point I'm making here is that to say we will not have sex with any man unless we are oh, trying yeah. to become pregnant is kind of astonishing, isn't it? <laughs> and and uh, in in my view, I'd say, well, I completely support them in their decision. I think that will make things a hell of a lot better for absolutely everybody. And the thing is, when you say this to people, they they think it's like the most outrageous thing that you could possibly say but they're the saying it themselves. They're saying, we don't want to get in a situation where we've got an unwanted pregnancy, so we won't have sex. And you think, well, yes, yeah, of course. You know, just if, you don't, if you're not, in a, if you don't want to have a child, don't have sex. I mean, just, you know, you mm. don't get yourself in a position where you need to have an abortion, you know, don't have sex in the first place. And, you know, I'm, uh, th- this is all said, you know, um, with, the, with the caveat that I think it's very, very important to be compassionate to people who are in that yeah. situation and, and um, they didn't mean to be and now they regret the situation they're in and so on and so forth. And that's, a, that's a very difficult position for lots of women. But this is, this is sense these feminists are talking here. No, absolutely. It, it's um, funny, isn't it, how the, the puritanical streak is, is emerging because um, during the first lockdown, particularly, wasn't it, that uh, 
that in essence the government banned uh, extramarital sex. Yep. <laughs> you, yeah. You couldn't have a unless you unless it, unless it was with a colleague. Unless it was with a colleague, Daniel. In which case, it was, party. In, in which yeah. case it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would I would say obviously that 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 Paul's sort of uh, command is to within a marriage not to deprive each other except for to put aside uh, mutual consent and for a time so you may devote yourselves to prayer that's 1 corinthians chapter 7 so you know that's the only thing i would disagree with in what they're saying is, is you know if you are married uh, then uh, then you shouldn't uh, mm. shouldn't shouldn't forego mm. uh, marital intercourse uh, unless um <laughs> Unless well, I mean, Tom, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I can see a, a reason pastorally, particularly if you're a Roman Catholic, where you would forego intercourse um, if you if you had some medical problem or something like that, and you you didn't want to conceive, and you felt that it was wrong to, to use contraception. Um, but perhaps we're getting into sort of minutiae, yeah, which yeah. feminists did not intend. You know, <laughs> the, thing, the thing it reminds me of is um, is the Me Too stuff. You know, because that that stuff was that stuff was also about male chastity, wasn't it? It was about, you know, men should not be going out touching women's bottoms and, you know, molesting women because um, because obviously it's, it's wrong and it's harassment and everything. And what men should do is control themselves. You know, so you shouldn't you should control your desires, control those urges which you have because it's because you're offending and and uh, harassing women. And again, it's, it's, it's a thoroughly Christian intuition, which is that, yeah, men do have a, a far higher um, sexual drive than women and men are more physically um, imposing and powerful. And therefore, what men need to do is to learn how to control themselves and to channel those drives in a virtuous way. The problem is, is that for the last 60 years, our culture has been telling men to do exactly the opposite, which is just to let their let their sexual inclinations run free and and this this has the effect of exacerbating that desire you know it's like mm. it's like it's like gluttony or um or a, a drug addiction or something like that it 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 feeds on itself and it exacerbates itself um and the more you sort of give um the more you give license to those urges the more those urges rule over you and, and get out of control and that's 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 why men do these terrible things is because they've they've never learned or been told or made any serious effort to exercise self-control and so, just, so we told we told people we told people to do that for decades and then we're sort of shocked when men behave like this Anyway, I mean, once again, Romans 1, isn't it? Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. You know, that, that works just as much in, in heterosexual uh, illicit um, relationships mm. as it does out of it. You know, Paul was there. It's not exactly, you know, it's not exactly rocket science that if we, if we let a society um, sort of basically uh, put aside God and follow their own desires instead that this is where it happened because it had already happened in paul's time it was happening amongst the gentiles that he saw you know I mean, tom holland says in dominion um great book if you haven't read it folks mm, but um uh, he's he says he's is it, I think it's in the last chapter that um which which looks at the whole kind of identity politics and wokeness that 
clearly people are trying to return to some threads of Christianity. Yeah. You know, it, it may be a sort of a heretical form, but uh, Me Too is, it has got some of those nuances that, that are... Um, what, what it doesn't Christian, have is redemption. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but um, I mean, a few months ago, wasn't it? We, I think we commented on uh, how that there is this, this new trend for um, people to celebrate a commitment to each other before they have a physical relationship, you know, and that they might have uh, some kind of ceremony and exchange of tokens. Uh, and then you actually say, well, oh, actually, that, isn't that marriage? You know, mm, yeah. um, as they're reading poems to each other about how they're going to love each other for the rest of their lives and you know, never be apart and so on and so on. Uh, and, um, you know, yeah. Here's 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 an object that I'm going to give you a piece of jewelry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. think, well, yeah, so just reinventing the wheel, but fair enough. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean it's 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 amazing, isn't it? It's it's the wisdom of the wisdom of of God um being sort of fumbled around for by people who reject everything to do with with uh, our Christian heritage, it's it's quite amazing. Um, one of the so I mean I have to confess, chaps, I haven't done loads and loads of research on this, but I was looking around for some some uh, Christian response to this situation. Um, I haven't seen anything at all from Church of England's um, official sources, <laughs> um, which I don't know if you chaps have seen it, but I think we said we couldn't find anything, didn't we? Um, no. Which is kind of, I mean, it's 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 a real shame that we haven't heard anything from any bishops or anything from the Church of England. I mean, the whole, this is clearly a big story. We we were saying, mm. weren't we? There's been a debate in Parliament as to. Um, I'm not really sure how this would happen, but Stella Creasy, the Labour MP, has been talking about how there should be a right to abortion in the British mm. Bill of Rights. Sort of question over what that actually means, but it's it's big news in our country and mm. we haven't heard anything at all from the church yeah. about it. It's possibly- and what was shocking about that debate in Parliament was the way that um, those from a pro-life position, which I have to say, I, I only saw it on the government side, the benches, um, were being shouted down, booed down. And I thought we had this thing that one that in Parliament, sensitive subjects like this were, were dealt with in, in a non-partisan, philosophical kind of senatorial manner rather mm. than shouting matches. Mm. But, but, I mean, yeah. we, you forget, Daniel, that our current parliamentarians are amongst the worst mm. that have ever, ever stood up in that chamber. You know, they're, they're, they're genuinely awful. You know, the calibre mm. of MPs is, is absolutely dreadful. Mm. But, you know, I mean, at one point, one MP was saying, well, you know, we've got to consider that um, it's not only the, the woman's body, but there is another body, another person that is involved in this process, uh, another body that is being carried. And, and he's being shouted down with, you know, yeah. no, no, it isn't. Shame yeah. on you. Uh, Shut up. You know, bigot and all that. I just thought this is, yeah. this is really, really poor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that, and that's that's the thing about this, this, um, you know, the pro abortion arguments is they, mm. they never they never, ever, ever want to reckon with the fact that there is another body 
there is another life involved in abortions. Um, So I had this, I did find this interesting article, which was um, written by uh, a pro-choice Christian called Laura Ellis. And I thought it was going to contain some actual arguments in it. So it's called Why I'm a Pro-Choice Christian and Believe You Should Be Too. But the article is I'll, look, I'll put it on the show notes. What it is, is it, it's, a, it's a reiteration of the kind of rhetorical tropes of the pro-choice movement. And then it's a, it's a, a guilt by association argument, which is saying that the religious right uh, originally was formed in order to support um, segregation in the mid-20th century in the US, mm-hmm. and therefore it's tainted. And it's not, it's not really about being pro-life at all, but it's actually about... Um, you know, uh, it's a power grab, essentially. That's that's our argument. There's there's no there's no argument here. There's no theological argument. There's no philosophical argument. It's just it's just trash. It's this this article is just trash. There's there's nothing. There's no substance in it whatsoever. She's also cited in an article um, on CNN where you've got Trent Horn, who's a, a Roman Catholic, giving fairly straight answers um, to this question. Uh, and uh, again, you know, for example, when he's asked to cite biblical passages, he says the Bible doesn't explicitly mention abortion, but it does say in various places that it's wrong to kill innocent human beings. And he, he cites verses from Exodus and Proverbs, for example. And then he makes a logical argument, which is that if the Bible says it's wrong to kill innocent human beings and science and sound reasoning tell us that human embryos and human fetuses are human beings, then the Bible implies that it's wrong to kill them. So it's, it's a, that is a biblical argument. And her her response is, um, well, this is really complicated and uh, we can't justify it through a single verse. Uh, The Bible is an incredibly complicated book written by many people over different historical and social contexts. And it'd be wrong to just pull out bits and pieces of it and apply it to 21st century America. Um, It doesn't talk about abortion in any way. It's just not there. Um, so when he, and then she said, when I think about the kind of scriptures that people who are anti-abortion pull out, they're often about murder, sexual immorality, and blaming women. Uh, they're so taken out of context. I fall back to drawing from the life and ministry of Christ. Jesus really advocated for women in a beautiful, unique way, et cetera, et cetera, as though Jesus would, would advocate for abortion because he treated women respectfully. Um, the, the fact is, is that, um, script- and that's the line, isn't it? You know, yeah. yeah, what, yeah. where, yeah. Well, 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 there are well, two demonstrations. Which seriously do you think? Or which side of the road is Christ going to be on? Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing is, uh, as well, just to make a scriptural point, is that scripture does make, uh, by implication, um, comments about abortion, or it does reference abortion because it describes an unborn child as a brephos, which is which is the same word as it uses for a child that's been born. So the authors don't have a distinction in their mind between a, a, a born child and a fetus. There's, there's plenty of plenty of verses in the Psalms and elsewhere which which describe God as as creating um, creating us from our mother's wombs. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Psalm 139. Yeah. You knit, you but, knit me together in my mother's womb. It's 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 inco- it's unconscionable that you could you could look at a verse like that and think that it it somehow doesn't imply that to destroy a child in the womb is wrong. If if God knits children together in their mother's womb, I mean certain you know I don't want to be too graphic, but certain types of abortion literally dismember children, you know, limb from limb. It's it's literally the opposite of, of the work of God in in creating children. So, and, and, and I think when I've seen on the uh, Anglo Twitter sphere various clergy, you know, sort of falling over themselves to say, "Oh well, you know, uh, I'm actually pro-choice. 
uh, th though I think abortion's a bad thing, you know, I think in the end it's all about choice and uh, uh, yeah, th th they live often in again in this very sort of bubble existence where the graphic nature of this is not to be discussed because somehow it's distasteful. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but but also, I mean, it, it, that's not how our moral system works. I mean, maybe um, maybe one day in heaven we won't need uh, well, certainly we won't need a law to to tell us what's right and what's wrong. But actually, not everyone is in the kingdom mm -hmm. of God yet, and and there are people who do things that are wrong and you know and so therefore it's been considered to be correct to constrain people from doing wrong things by means of, of law uh for for as long as there's been a state you know mm. um so uh, so so you know you you know it's i, I it's just it, it just boggles that you that that, that um, the mind boggles that this person um can claim that there's that, that it's a neutral thing in the bible also mm -hmm. um I mean, the other, the other very good argument, it's always a very good argument because it's very, you know, Christianity has uniquely amongst Christian religions at the time been anti-abortion. You know, mm -hmm. all the other religions didn't care at that point, other than Judaism, as I understand it, you know, but Roman, Greek, uh, all, all the other Middle Eastern and uh, sort of uh, Eastern European religions that were around at that time in the ancient worlds were quite happy to have um, abortion. They even had a plant that did it um uh they, they knew how to do it herbally um and uh and they were, they were in fact generally infanticide was allowed as well mm. yeah, this the, was something exposure of infants mm. yeah this was something that christians fought against from the very earliest days and it's only recently that, that anyone has tried to make any sort of coherent argument the opposite you know mm. so um it's really yeah a tour of the catacombs isn't it in rome will will show you uh lots of um uh, tiny 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 little sort of tombs for um children who the christians collected who'd been dumped mm. on the streets either they were the wrong sex or what have you yeah. you know born out of some kind in some kind of misery and um were just discarded sadly yeah and they would give them they would give them um, a, a dignified rest and so the catacombs were had loads of these honeycomb little tombs for babies and i believe um i can't remember which uh, and commentators in antiquity it might be josephus who who claimed that um the christians were was were thought to have been collecting babies because they were eating flesh and see that there was this confusion between that and the eucharist yeah yeah um, yeah it's yeah it's very true um one thing I was going to say, I've heard a couple of commentators, conservatives who are not Christians, saying that, oh, Toby Young said this, for example, and I've heard other people saying it as well, that um, abortion should be a right or it should at least be accessible up to a certain point and that women's rights need to be balanced against uh, the life of of the child and that that should be based on development of the child. I just, I just want to just wanted to say that I think that that's such a philosophically vacuous argument mm. in, in, in a number of ways. The first thing I say about it is that um, there is absolutely no way, apart from some completely arbitrary criteria of distinct of determining when the child becomes a, a person or when it becomes a, a life w w which 
um, should be respected. There's no way of determining that scientifically, ethically, morally at all. The only point is a conception or, or not at all um, that makes any logical sense. And then the second thing is, is that the argument is completely wrong. It, it just it's, it's completely the opposite of, of the way things work. If you are unsure as to whether something is a human being, you don't kill it. It's not, it's not that if there's any doubt, you kill it. That's a completely uh, ridiculous way of thinking about, about the right to terminate a life. So this is why you don't, um, you know, we don't have, thank goodness, we don't have uh, legal euthanasia in our country because we still recognise that people who, for example, have degenerative neurological illnesses are still human beings. They may, they may be uh, impaired in terms of their cognitive function, but that doesn't make them not a person. And because there is that um, doubt, at least in most people's minds, as to whether they are less than a person, they're not killed. And it's exactly the same thing for, for um, children in the womb, only it's a much stronger argument than that, is that you cannot say with any certainty whatsoever that a child in the womb is not a person, so you, you can't kill them. It's just, it's just straightforward. It's, it's a reason not to kill them, not a reason to kill them. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So anyway, I just, I just, what I, what I just want to say is like, you know, I know there are people who are conservative who listen to this and I just want to put that to them that that argument doesn't make any sense. It lacks coherence and it's, it's a, it's not a courageous argument. You can, you can be totally against abortion uh, from a, Mm. from a, a, a secular perspective on that basis, you know, on the basis that you believe in a right to life. The, the entity in the womb is at least mm. um, is at least ambiguously alive, and therefore its life should be respected. There is no way of of determining, you know, at three months or whatever. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just, mm. do you see what I mean? Anyway, yeah, we should. We've got a couple of other things that we need to talk about. Um, I think we can do the next one quite quickly, couldn't we? Because this this absurd uh, <laughs> idea yeah. that Britain should prepare for war with Russia um, from the head of the armed forces. Um, oh, this is this is really worrying, Tom. It's very oh, worrying, oh. but but it's oh. also completely absurd. I mean, I, I, I mean, the the obvious problem being that, that the the strategy of the West in the in, in the Ukrainian crisis, the Ukrainian war, is is failing. Um, Russia appear to have made their land bridge to the Crimea. They have cut off Ukraine from the sea. They have got most of the Donbass region. This is, as far as I can tell, what has happened. It's even uh, come through, floated through, uh, in in the mainstream press and. Uh, the only way that they would ever, you know, reasonably be be gotten out of there, uh, those positions, is for um, not just uh, arms and training, because I mean, training takes months. I'm not quite sure, uh, but 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 you know, a- actual um, military commitment from the West to drive Russia out of Ukraine, and and, uh, and the idea that that's a coherent and likely and uh, even a positive thing which this chap seems to think uh, is, is incredibly dangerous. They are a nuclear armed power. You know, they're a nuclear armed power with hypersonic nuclear missiles that are capable of evading our nuclear defences. Um, mm. Everyone is aware of that. You know, we do not escalate. We do not prepare for an escalation. My, my question, Tom, reading this is, is why? So the, the, the argument is Britain must be prepared to go to war with Russia. But my, my simple question I'm asking is why? What, why? I mean, why would we go to war with Russia? What for? I mean, do you, do you see an answer to that question in this article? No. 
I mean, honestly, honestly, what is he saying? He's saying, well, Russians are saying aggressive things like um, there have been talks. Uh, they've been talking about how, um, well, they've been threatening the population of Lithuania following a mm. dispute over access to the Russian enclave of Kaliningrad. But so what? I mean, you know, I'm sure that's an important thing for Lithuanians, but that's not a reason to start World War Three. Um, Mr. Prochushev, a, a former head of Russia's Federal Security Service, um, didn't specify what action he had in mind, but he did indicate that he wouldn't tolerate Vilnius's recent decision mm. ban future shipments of steel and iron ore to Kaliningrad. But I mean, but in, in all of this, don't you think there's a danger of a kind of Hollywoodization or, or Marvelization of reality where we think that it's all just simply a case of um, hoping that we've got enough superpowers? And you know, every story must have a good ending. It's like World War One, isn't it? It'll it'll all be over by Christmas um, because that's the way that um, the Victorian Edward Edwardian mind thought that things happened. You know, yeah. uh, and um, he's, he's I just said that, hasn't he, Daniel? He said that it's a 1937 moment. He's literally saying, you know, it's like the beginning of World War Two. So I carry on. Well, I think it's actually better to say it's more like a 1914 moment. Mm. Where yeah. we could end up in a uh, a conflict that goes on for years and years and years, um, or um, a conflict that lasts ten minutes, um, mm. but in either case, a conflict where we didn't see it coming before. Mm. You know, whereas I think nineteen thirty seven, thirty eight, we did see a lot of things coming. Um, you know. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, arguably, nineteen. 19- 37, uh, well, the, the Second World War is arguably a, uh, a, 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 a resumption of hostilities of the First World War due to a, a flawed peace process that, 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 that sought damages rather than, um, uh, rather than uh, reconciliation. I mean, you know, there, there's an argument for that. It's not the whole story, but there's an argument for that. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and no one thinks the world really needed to fight the First World War. Mm. Well, I'm not sure about that, Tom. I'm not. I'm not sure. I agree with that, but I, I don't. I don't. I don't think necessarily um, it's right to necessarily go into that uh, in detail. But there is a very good argument for it in Nigel Bigger's book, In Defense of War, which I, I must say, I found quite persuasive. But I'm not a military history expert. Just putting that out there mm-hmm. for all the fan, all those fans of World War One who listen to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think I just find this. I find this seriously concerning when you've mm-hmm. got people like this talking about you know he's talking about everybody in the army being ready you know from the youngest lance corporal right up to the top of the uh, high chain of command he's talking about reviving um traditional forms of battlefield um engagement you know um hand-to-hand combat close um or uh, what you call it um like short-range combat all that kind of stuff uh it's it's very worrying and i i think i can't i cannot see why um why this is necessary uh, speaking of which chaps we did actually forget to talk about something in the, the abortion thing um which which does relate to this which is the the outrageous politicization of the glastonbury festival and um, but that's that's deeply demonic isn't it? i mean so so the way it relates to said is that paul paul mccartney um decided to sort of saunter around the stage at the end of his set with a massive uh ukrainian flag um for some reason and of course the other thing which was which was shocking in the extreme was um, Kendrick Lamar's 
uh, denouement to his set where he wore a crown of thorns with um, diamonds encrusted in it uh, and had blood spewing out. Well, I don't know where the blood was coming from, but it was kind of running down his face. And he was apparently making some kind of um, protest statement against Roe v. Wade. And he said, um, judge me, judge Christ. And then what did he say? Something like freedom for women or something like that. Mm-hmm. But just um, Glastonbury. I mean, I've never really followed Glastonbury. I've never been there myself, yeah. but it just sounds appalling in every way. Have either of you guys ever gone to it? No. no. <laughs> I've been to the Anglo-Catholic thing once afterwards. Oh, really? What's that? They have a sort of a um, uh, a large gathering, sort of southwest board in faith. And I mean, that was years and years ago and, and Anglo-Catholics. Um, and um, I mean, they had Robert Runcie. I think the one I went to years ago had Robert Runcie presiding at it. Um, and um, uh, and George Carey preaching. Gosh, that's pretty much time. That's about 30 odd years ago. All right. Um, but it was all smells and bells and what have you. Yeah. Um, and it was done just after the festival. Mm. Um, oh, okay, I didn't know. Uh, that. And as you know, they, they get like you know several thousand people in the ruins of the abbey. Oh, lovely! Um, Sounds good. But, um, they know, need they need that nowadays. You'd have to do. <laughs> it could be like a kind of um, I don't know, mm. perform an exorcism or something. Mm. Um, they also had uh, Zelensky, of course, and Greta Thunberg. So. Sounds sounds fun, man. Oh, I cannot wait to go there. Um, yeah. So any, any, I think it's any, over, Tom. It's yeah. Over. It's, it's, you have to get your tickets for next year. They they cost something like you know. You could have an irreverence stand in Glastonbury. <laughs> yeah, they cost something like twelve hundred quid. I'm sure. I'm sure we'd be welcomed with open arms, Daniel, to to mm. Glastonbury. I'm sure people would be thrilled, absolutely thrilled to see us there. Um, in other news, the Oxford Diocese has added to the baptismal vows that it expects new Christians. Not, not to the vows. Let's, let's be precise. Uh, it's added to the commissioning. Okay. Do you, uh, want, do you want to explain, Tom? <laughs> what, okay. what is the commissioning? I've never used it. So, uh, so it's at the end of the, of the, um, it's at the end. I've only ever seen it used at, um, uh, t- I've used it myself once when I, uh, when I welcome someone into the Anglican communion uh, at Easter. And uh, it's also used in the confirmation services, but it's a series of sort of um, uh, promises you make as you as you leave on top of the baptism promises about. I mean, it's, it's repeating really what um, uh, what you've done already. I mean, I guess it is a vow, but it's not the baptismal vow. It's not the. Mm. Um, it's not. It's not in with the six. You know, do you turn to Christ? How do you How do you know this, Tom? It doesn't. None of the stuff that I've read specifies this. It does. It says it here. Um, uh, well, I, I know it because I know I know what he's talking about. Um, uh, it's the with, with God's help I will bit um, is 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 the commissioning. Uh, here we are. Um, the bishop. We want to warmly commend this question for use in parishes where the commission is used. And of course, oh yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Um, so it's not quite it's not quite the baptismal liturgy that they're changing, but it is chucking in uh, something new uh, into. Um, a uh, part of the service which only uh, until that point only reflected the baptismal vows and um, with with um, without without any sort of additional information so to speak yeah so we should we should be clear in case people don't know what we're talking about it's uh, it's going to be a question involved involving uh, involved involved in the ceremony which says will you strive to safeguard the integrity of creation 
and sustain and renew the life of the earth which is uh, doesn't, doesn't really mean much does it I mean, well no. what does it mean it's, to safeguard yeah. the integrity of creation and what does that mean what is yeah, the integrity it's, of creation? it's interesting that creation in this you know if we take the biblical world view that the material world is only a very very small part of creation yeah uh, and we all, you know, say, oh, well, I'm into creation. Oh, you, you know, are you guys, you're safeguarding hell as well as heaven, <laughs> you know. And, uh, uh, yeah. The demonic powers. Well, the mean, demonic and I'm the... Not, uh, I'm not uh, certain uh, what they mean by the integrity of creation. It's a meaning. It's just, it's like they've just... just it doesn't plucked, mean... It doesn't mean just anything. It's word salad. Manager it speak, mean. isn't it? I mean, it's um, word salad. It just it sounds, it sounds like it's, it means something. But, I mean, God mm. is the only thing... It's not a thing, of course. God is the only person who safeguards the integrity of creation. He does that all the time by willing it to continue. You know? But does, does, does creation even have an integrity? I think create, you could you could make the argument that creation is fundamentally broken and that you could describe that as a breakdown of integrity. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think, I think characteristic of what it means to live in a fallen creation, is it? Is it there's I think, no I think it has, I think it's no, I disagree. I think it has echoes it's, it's in the integrity of God. It creation. is a rebellion. Yeah. Well, it's it depends, rebellion. it depends what you mean by integrity, I suppose. There's a sort of ontological integrity to creation, isn't there? But there's a moral breakdown which you could uh, I just I was assuming they were talking ontologically, but which makes no sense at all because how, how am I supposed to safeguard the ontological integrity of creation? I don't know. If it if it already um, exists. If it already exists, yeah. It's very hard. And, and what, does it mean, what does it mean also to sustain the life of the earth? I mean, that sounds like a that sounds like a, a big job to me. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So if a comet comes towards in the invades <laughs> into the solar system, it's heading towards Earth. Uh, uh, it's also part of creation. You know? Am That's, I supposed yeah. to? But but so so but but maybe sustaining the life of the earth in that case would be to be like Bruce Willis in Armageddon. And get on the spaceship and go up there and drill a hole in it and and, so and choose, yeah. better get into training for astronauting. <laughs> yeah. I preferred uh, the Morgan Freeman <laughs> film. Uh, oh, really? I oh, know I didn't. I didn't. No. Although, although the new film, Greenland, Greenland, yes. I like to call yeah. it. That's actually I think better than Armageddon um, and, and Deep and Impact. The, just and finally, finally, renew the life of the Earth. What what does that mean? Re- renew the life of the Earth. I mean, don't know. I, I, no it's, idea. It's, it's, it's a completely meaningless statement. Mm. So, do, do you not think? Sometimes with these liturgies that you know people are having liturgical adventures, writing this stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's like it's like that awful prayer. Um, you know. Oh yeah, I know. All of mean. all of creation resounds with the silent music of your praise. Sounds ever so poetic, but when you think about it, all of creation resounds. Okay, so it's ringing with the mm. silent music, which doesn't make any sense of your praise. But there's nowhere in the Bible is God's praise said to be silently musical. I mean, yeah. I mean, music can't be silent. Creation, right? creation isn't silent as well. There's always noise everywhere. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. know. Someone, someone was very pleased with himself when they wrote that. I've got two seagulls nothing. living up. <laughs> very noisy. Very, creation's resounding with the silent music of their praise. Um, <laughs> it's a very strange uh, one, isn't it? It's it's um, so, so I, Mark, I can remember years ago going to this thing at Canterbury Cathedral for a celebration of hospital chaplaincy. And the then Bishop of Dover started this liturgy that clearly had been written by some committee. And it start, the opening was, uh, we gather together, and the response was to each line was, we come as we are. And I thought, well, how else am I supposed to go? <laughs> I can remember the, the priest next to me like, having the fit of the giggles. But, but, but uh, you know, later on, I learned this was a lesson that 
we kind of play around with the liturgy too much at our peril. You know, I, I did one of these um, printed sheets with a one of these alternative creeds that you can get from the... Oh, you um, didn't really. Uh, did, from, yeah. yeah, this is about 10, 15 years ago. And, and actually, some old boy came and sort of tapped me on the shoulder afterwards and said, you know, don't be springing on us these statements of belief that you're asking us to assent with yeah. without giving us time to think about it. He said, because there were all these very nice sentences. It probably was the, the commission thing that Tom's just talked about. Um, but he says, we need time to think about that. And actually, you're asking us to assent to something. And, and you know, you get this in churches where you think, I could write anything down. And, yeah. you know, would, um, would people just oh. say a response just because... You know, it'd be uncomfortable not to. I think we've got to kind of see a dignity in the worship and a dignity in the people who are saying it. I, I, so I'm kind of a bit adverse now to all these, must, all this stuff, throwing all this stuff at people. You I know, must you, admit, we're asking you to believe in God, Jesus, and His Holy Spirit, not yeah. too much more. You know, that's enough. I, in a I, must, I must admit that I, yeah, well, you're right about baptism, although, although they, of course, most baptisms these days, and I've sort of thrown out the, the, the leaflets from my church that have this on, use that awful uh, modern, um, um, they, they don't use the Apostles' Creed, which really upsets me because yeah. the Apostles' Creed is literally the baptismal creed of the church. You know, it is the one until about five years ago that every single person <laughs> who had come through uh, you know the Anglican Church, and before that, the Catholic Church in England, and before that, probably the Celtic Church had had the words of the Apostles' Creed read at their baptism, and then some liturgy commission saw fit to remove it uh, at that point at, the, at that sacrament. Yeah, um, which is they, which. Um, I, I must admit, I do use a variant of the creed in one of my services. It's not a variant of the creed; it's a, it's a statement of faith. It's um, mm. uh, and I do use a metricalized version of the creed, which is slightly different, but it's quite good uh, to sing in our children's Eucharist or family's Eucharist. But uh, now, I'm sure uh, it's very good, Tom. Uh, it's very good. The most um, this isn't a creed, but it reminds me of uh, the New Zealand Anglican Lord's Prayer. Oh, that's awful! Oh, no. This I got it up here. Um, Eternal Spirit, Earth Maker. Pain bearer, bearer. I almost, I almost slipped into a Kiwi accent then. Life giver, source of all that is and that shall be. Father and mother of us all. <laughs> loving God, in whom is heaven. Ooh, in whom is heaven. Wow. The hallowing of your name echoes echo through the universe. I'm not sure this makes grammatical sense. It's, it's more silent music again. Isn't it? <laughs> the, way, the way of your justice be followed by the peoples of the world. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace well, and freedom. And wait, wait. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom. Sustain our hope and come on earth. There's sustainability. With the bread we need for today, feed us. In the hurt we absorb from one another, forgive us. Etc. 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 Amen. Sorry, Tom. What were you going to say? Uh, I was just going to say. I mean, it's 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 nonsense, isn't it? I mean, that's, whenever they have the, they used it. With, what's wrong with father and mother of us all loving God in whom is heaven? That's, that? that's what Jesus said, wasn't it? Well, I quite. Um, and also the given, I mean, I mean, just pain bearer. It's a strange one to pay, pray to God as pain bearer, isn't it? It's um, that's uh, patri passionism, isn't it? The idea yeah. that God the Father suffers. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it certainly is. And, and it sort of traps, as um, Vinandi points out in his uh, uh, book, seminal book, um, 
does Christ suffer or does God suffer? It's a great book, actually. Um, but, but can you imagine trying to teach this to our children at bedtime? OK, yeah. let's all kneel. Am I going to say, repeat after me? Yeah. Can Eternal you imagine? Spirit. Eternal no one, spirit. I can't even remember the first line. Eternal um, spirit, earth maker, pain bearer, life giver. It's very good, very good prayer. Um, we should we should move on. I, I suspect we might be wearying people's patience with this liturgical chat. Um, the other thing, uh, well, no, that's all the news actually. That's all the news this week. Uh, we've got a very important email which I wanted to read out. It's a so, very sad email. It needs to be held in prayer, actually. Mm. I think. It's, yeah. It's so I'm going to read. Sad. I'm going to read this out and just just so, to say, guys, I'm just going to use initials for. I've, I've spoken to a lady who sent me this. I'm just going to use initials for. Um, the people involved in this it's quite it's quite a long email so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna read read out most of it okay so um my husband and i have raised our four children together uh we got together in 2004 then married a year later our families joined as i had two children one of whom is uh b who we're who's the subject of this email uh from my first marriage um and he had one son uh they also have a daughter they also had a daughter in 2011 um the biological father uh, of B was an alcoholic and abusive and stopped contact with the children in 2004 when B was four and the other child was just two. So uh, Jay stepped in as dad to B and R and we've raised them together in a normal family. We did the, all the things that you do for their children, your children, give them love, time, invest in their schooling, go out on days out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I know the impact of early childhood trauma and rejection but we hope that the love and care we gave to the children would help. Sorry, my browser's being difficult. Mm. Would help um, to overcome this. And this just and life just seemed normal with our kids who were happy and content. B was always a bubbly, confident little girl, always played with dolls, Barbies, My Little Pony, wore dresses, skirts, as well as trousers. No different to how I'd grown up or other girls who she was with. Uh, friends with B struggled at school with friendships as she got older and went to secondary school always tended to be a little left out um, at times girls can be cruel and I do think there was an element of bullying and spitefulness B also struggled academically in the educational system in hindsight probably didn't suit her learning style then in 2003 B was 14 a group called 2BU started to go into her secondary school I was quite naive back then and didn't realize the impact of this the group was basically run by a woman who openly told the children she was lesbian and that this was a support group to help children feel comfortable in their skin and knowing who they were. I was never told directly by the school about this group, but only heard snippets from B. She became more secretive and started to spend less time with us. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, she told us she felt she was really a boy. Aside to this, Jay and I had become Christians a few years prior. I was prodigal, but Jay was new to his faith and relationship with God. We knew that God doesn't make mistakes, so we knew that what B was telling us was an untruth, but was particularly, but with particularly horrendous teenage behavior mm. and feeling out of our depth, we probably didn't deal with the situation as well as we could. I was so upset at the time and there was lots of shouting and arguments until I learned to lean on God. I was just making the situation worse really by being uh, led by my emotions rather than standing back on the rock and giving God control. The period between B um, being 14 and 19 was pretty tough to say the least. After meeting this lady at 2BU, she was put in touch with transgender support groups as well as other LGBT arenas, especially online. She was only 14. She was way too young to be dealing with these things. 
we would fluctuate sometimes weekly, sometimes even daily as to who or what she identified as. She's named herself transgender, non-binary, lesbian, pansexual, asexual, bisexual, monosexual, straight, etc., just to name a few. She'd often have to Google terms to explain them when questioned, as she didn't even have an understanding herself, even though this was something she claimed to identify as. The culture at school changed, and all of a sudden it seemed that everyone seemed to have a label. It was If it wasn't something to do with gender and sexuality, it was something to do with mental health, like anxiety or depression. It was perceived as cool or the new fad. B would dress in male clothes, causing issues with her brothers as she would shop in the same clothes shops as them on purpose. She would lower her voice to sound mon- monotone as she would try to sound as male as possible. She unknown to us bought a binder which basically compressed her chest to hide the fact that she was female. She would try to bring her transgender identity issues into conversations at all time. It was like an obsession that she couldn't think of anything else. It was all consuming to her. My husband and I would pray together. I met other Christian ladies to pray. We would pray at home, fill the house with worship music, and I even prayed over B while she was asleep. She spoke of, quote, a voice telling her she was a boy. So we prayed against the demonic and things improved for a while. She even said the voice had gone. But then a few months later, it got even worse and she became so hostile towards us and especially towards our relationship with God. Now I understand the danger of deliverance when the person you are praying for does not have the Holy Spirit to fill them. Becca started to get friends and people I knew in our village to call her Nathan instead of B. I never knew who she'd spoken to, who was going along with it and calling her by a boy's name. I even had friends who would tell me that I should be accepting of it and just go along with it. However, we know that God is sovereign, that he created her in his image and that he does not make mistakes. Apart from the first year where we made plenty of mistakes, I feel that our approach has been consistent through lots of prayer, God-given wisdom and discernment. I feel that we have been boundaried but consistent in how we've spoken to be. The turning point for me was when I heard God tell me it will be put right. I trust God completely and I know, know one day in his timing it will be put right and B will come to know the truth and accept the body God gave her. We have offered her love and friendship, but have not swayed in the fact that she to us is female. Uh, we fully acknowledge that she has thoughts and feelings that tell her she is in the wrong body. However, we stand firm that these thoughts are not truth for who she really is. We will not call her by a boy's name as she demands or refer to her as him or they. Um, then when Beck, when B, sorry, approached her 19th birthday, we found out that she was trying to groom slash manipulate slash coach her younger sister, who was only seven at the time, about gender slash drag queen sexuality. Things became so bad at home that when my husband and I could hardly bear to be in the house, the atmosphere was awful, so heavy, and we felt we couldn't leave um, their younger daughter even in another room while B was around. After prayer and talking it all through, we knew how to we had to honor God first and protect L, our younger daughter. All that we have belongs to God. Nothing is ours that he hasn't blessed us with. Yet we were allowing the enemy to have a foothold in our home through our eldest daughter. We sat down with her. She told us that she was really a boy, that she was going to put herself on the list of her transgender surgery, that she demanded we accept her name change and needed to stop being transphobic. We explained the reasons why we couldn't support any of this again, and that as she wanted to make grown-up decisions about her life and body, that she would have to be a grown-up, stand on her own two feet and move out. We supported her to find a lovely room to rent in the next village and set her up with everything she needed. But to this day, she believes we kicked her out. She doesn't accept uh, her actions led to her being told to move out. So she moved out a few years ago. Uh, Within a month, she started having a relationship with a man she'd known for a while. They ended up moving in. Uh, We saw them every couple of months. He was a straight man. She seemed more feminine and they told us they were a straight couple, although she did still say she had mixed feelings about who she was. But a month or two before this, she was adamant she was male and was going in for transgender surgery. All that was put on the back burner. We would not have chosen 
her to have lived with someone casually. However, she has never committed her life to Christ and was very much living in the world. In 2019, she fell pregnant despite mine and my husband's assurances that we would support her in our role as grandparents. She went off in secret and had her baby aborted. Our hearts were broken. It was after this that her relationship with the male she was with started to fall apart. They lasted another 18 months, then separated. Uh, relationship with her became even harder after the abortion, but my reliance on God grew even more. We still had a relationship, but I was very boundaried and tried to think, keep things as neutral in topic as possible. After the relationship breakdown, B started to dress more male, changed her name by Deepol, um, and started to become fixated on the fact that she again identified herself as a man. She started a new job applying as a male and then only being known by her male name by her work colleagues. She then started to have an issue with us again about the fact that we were not going along with her wishes. She's now 22 and has started a new relationship with another man. He identified as a straight male, but since being with her, he now identifies as a bisexual man who is with a man. From what I can pick up, he is encouraging her to put forward herself forward for transgender surgery. We've not met him, and he's told Becca he has no interest in meeting us as he classes us as transphobic. The last time we saw our daughter two months ago, she told us she couldn't have a relationship with us unless we refused. Uh, sorry, she couldn't have a relationship up with us if we refused to call her by her male name and refer to her as he. Um, and then there's quite a lot more, so I think I'll I'll leave it there. Um, but basically, uh, this lady affirms her um, trust in Christ, and she says that is upsetting to see other parents who have gone along with their child's uh, gender dysphoria, um, but she does understand the influence of the world and how powerful these forces are, um, but it, that it's not right to validate the confusion and, and gender dysphoria of children um, by allowing themselves to go down this path, which eventually ends in um, surgery and uh, the, well, she doesn't use this word, but what is essentially a mutilation of of a, of a child's or a young adult's body. Um, so, so yeah, I, w- I won't read any more of it except for that. Um, she writes at the end. I believe that by what we have been through and continue to go through with B, uh, that it could really help other Christian parents going through the same thing. Um, but I find it hard to connect with other Christians outside of my immediate friends. It's not easy to stand on the world word and not go along with what the world tells us to do. Uh, but the, we know that the path we walk with Jesus is a narrow one, but praise God, we have him to walk with. Nothing is impossible with God. Um, then she signs off in a, in a very nice way. So, I mean, it's, I, I wanted to read the whole of that out chaps, because I think it's such a, a powerful statement uh, and it's very sad. And, you know, we do encourage people to, to keep her in, in and her family in in your prayers mm. but um i think one of the really Im- important things in that email is the way that that started uh was through the, one of these groups coming into the school and essentially introducing ideas to this young woman girl as she was at the time uh that she it would simply never have occurred to her otherwise and it seems to me quite clear that this girl was rejected by her father as a as an infant really had trouble with the academic system um, wasn't fitting in very well with her peers and so this suggestion that was made to her was done so with her as a susceptible and and impressionable child essentially mm-hmm. um and it is uh well I, I i can't see it as anything else but 
abuse and manipulation. And I guess one of the one of the main things I I'd like to do through um, reading this out is just to make people aware of of what's going on in schools and how how seriously parents need to take this kind of thing if they don't want their children to be exposed to the same kind of well i don't even know what to call it to be honest with you evil is, is all i can call we, it we need a we need a culture change don't we where parents are a lot more proactive uh and particularly in this phsc stuff um are on the ball of yeah. asking it's incredibly what's hard. happening what's happening what what you know can i see the lesson plan can, what what's this all about mm. um what are you actually teaching my child um Many schools during this month will be doing all sorts of stuff mm. uh, that um, as parents, you know, you and I could have no idea about. Yeah. And, and I believe the government are strengthening the, um, the, the, the well, uh, diminishing the parental right to re- withdraw children from these classes as well, aren't they? Which is mm. dreadful. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard stuff. I mean, you know, I don't know this in detail, but, you know, I've heard stuff about how these organizations offer um, to supply children with these kind of this equipment, you know, like these breast binders, which essentially retard the growth of um, children, female children's breasts as they go through puberty and things like that, undermining uh, any parental wishes at all. And you, you just think, you know, if parents don't have the right um, to and the responsibility to oversee a child in questions as as to whether or not they should bind their breast with a breast binder or or put themselves on a track which might end up in them having surgery which will basically constitute the mutilation of their own genitals um it's hard to know what rights parents have at all if they have no say in in such in such a thing yeah and the other thing is quite frankly to our listeners give a child an iPhone at, at 10 or 11 and, you know, you've only yourself to blame. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, absolutely. Because it doesn't, you're right, Daniel, because it doesn't even need one of these groups to come in, does it? I mean, if you give a kid an iPhone, you know. Yeah. It's all there. It's all yeah. there at the fingertips. Um, and, um, and, you know, there are, I suspect there are many, many children who are out there who are, subconsciously crying out to mum and dad to take this thing away from them. Mm. Mm. What do you think is, so, you know, people are listening to this. I mean, I'm sure most people who listen to this are, you know, they've got this far in the podcast. They're already, you know, very sympathetic to, to what we're saying, but you know, there, there, there would be people who would say, well, you're just being restrictive. You're not affirming children, mm. blah, blah, blah. So it's I mean, not, it's so not our job to, simply affirm children it's our job as parents to to bring them into truth and that, mm. that i mean i'm not even talking from a christian perspective here it's absurd the idea that whatever goes on in a child's head is what should just be affirmed is ridiculous mm. rowan williams who has been rather checkered on a number of things recently wrote in his book lost icons a lament to childhood by which he by which he meant in a time in which you're allowed to explore being an adult Without, and I think it's particularly talking about teenagers here, without having the um, having your decisions um, 
sort of bound to you, which they are when you're an adult. That's kind of the definition of an adult. Your decisions are bound to you. Until then, as a child, you should have a space to be able to say, you know, I'm a girl, I'm a boy, I'm a fairy, I'm a tree, I'm a, you know, whatever, you know. And you shouldn't just go, okay, right, you're a tree. Okay, right, let's lop off your legs and plant you, you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it does so much damage to them. Yeah. I'm just trying Uh, to think of, you know, if you were to try and put it as positively as possible, it's not that, you know, you want to sort of cut off your children's choices or anything like that. It's you want their choices to actually remain open um, for, for, as, for as long as possible. Well, I don't know about long as possible, but for as long as is appropriate within a childhood. Because as you say, Tom, quite rightly, to curtail a child's choice by taking those things really seriously. I mean, my older child says he wants to be a, a train driver. You know, and that's pretty, he's pretty firm about that. But then if I were to make every single decision in his childhood um taking that really seriously yeah. that would take, that would take him out uh, of school you know he doesn't, yeah. doesn't need all that schooling well he doesn't go to school anyway but um yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know but you know what i mean yeah stop educating him you know stop educating just, him. Just, just educate him only with a view to him becoming becoming a train driver but but the the point is is that would that would limit him enormously and it wouldn't leave open the kind of opportunities that should be open to him at the end of his childhood. And obviously, I think, you know, this whole thing is completely immoral. But just from a kind of secular perspective, I think you could also say say that to, uh, I mean, the transgender thing, not being a train driver. Mm. Um, you know, you could say that to, to, to parents. It's like, this is not really what childhood is about, is it? It's not about, you know putting children in a, in a, in a box and saying, you know, you must do X, Y, and Z, which is sort of ironic, isn't it? Because that's what they accuse conservatives of doing. They say, Oh, you just want to like your child to be, uh, you know, in a gender stereotype. But I, I just think, you know, if you, if you give your children puberty blockers or if you put them on a fast track to surgery, I mean, that's irreversible, you know, it's irreversible what you're doing to them. You're limiting them um, forever for the rest of their life. What if they regret doing something like that? Um, I, I think as well what we have is, you know, in the last couple generations is a typical household. Both parents are working very long hours just to pay them, get the bills paid, you know, are, are treading water financially, um, they're time poor. Uh, yeah. And that what previous generations have done in investing in terms of parenting and spending time with children is not necessarily there. And I think it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's easier to give them a device. It's easier to um, just think, oh, well, the teachers will do all of that. And then, the, the, you know, the teaching profession, particularly if they're ideologically uh, militant, will, you know, key, are keen. Well, you know, we want parents to stay out of this where the professionals, yeah. you know, will, you can see what happens, don't you? That, that parenting then gets squeezed out yeah. uh, and you end up with a very limited daily interaction with your child, particularly as particularly with teenagers, when actually the reverse is, is, is needed. And it's damn hard work. Yeah. It's, it's damn hard work to, to, to give that time. You know, yeah. things have to be sacrificed. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I think quite honestly... I'm not saying it's laziness, but I think we're all just a bit fried and mm. this thing has come on the back of this. Mm. Yeah, uh, we're not very... just giving the time that our children deserve. Yeah, I mean, it's a very good point, Daniel, that you're making, which is that there is a there is a link, isn't there, between this sort of vision of, 
life that we've all been sold that you can have two parents working full time you can just stick your kids in school and then the the school will take care of your kids and basically you don't have to and then it's you know it's apt to be exploited by ideologues or you know people who people who for whatever reason want to capture mm. your children's imagination and give them a different view of reality to the one that you would mm. want them to have and your your influences i mean it's this is it reminds me of um that film uh, True Lies, you know, with Arnold Schwarzenegger and that other guy, the funny guy whose name no one can ever... Danny DeVito? No, 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 that's twins. No. True Lies, it's, a, it's another guy. Anyway, the other guy, you know, Schwarzenegger's having problems with his daughter, his teenage daughter, and the other guy says to him, look, you know, it's over, you know, you're, the, the time when, you know, parents had influence over their children is over. Now their parents are Axl Rose and Madonna. And that was back in 95 when that was a contemporary reference. Mm. But that's the point. It's like, you know these these cultural figures now unless you're intentional about it will have more influence over your children than you do because they because they frankly kids spend more time in their company than parents do you know if you give them a phone if they're in school all day blah 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 so that that um question over who is influencing your children uh what is shaping and forming your child's imagination their personality their sense of what's right and wrong, their sense of reality. That's a fundamentally central question in, um, to, to what it means to be a parent. And as certainly as Christians, it's something that we have to wrestle with. And it's obviously people will come to different conclusions as to what, what the answer is to that question. I guess what I'm saying is I think that question is more pertinent now than mm. it's ever been in, in recent history because you cannot trust schools in the way that I think you probably could when I was at school um, you know, I don't remember stuff like this happening. Uh, you know, when I was at school in the nineties as a as a as a younger as a young child. Um, so, so we really have to ask ourselves those questions in a serious way. Um, you know, can my lifestyle, a bit like you know the kind of thing Roger said in the Benedict option. You know, can my lifestyle really and my financial goals can it really sustain a, a faithful commitment to my children? Can it can it can it sustain that, or do I need to rethink what my priorities are and perhaps make some sacrifices either individually or for us as a family financially and so on and so forth in order to create a an environment in which it's more likely that my child will be protected and my child will grow up as a Christian and so on and so forth. So I think that's really important. Yeah. Okay, chaps. Well, I think it'd probably be good to uh, draw things to a close there. I appreciate your time as always. Uh, sorry, sorry again about your sports day being rained off, Tom. But it's been uh, it's been good to have you here. Lovely to be here. To get your mm-hmm. take on stuff. Um, just to say, if people appreciate what we're doing here on the show, you can always support the show. patreoncom forward slash irreverent for as little as one pound fifty per month plus VAT in the UK. Uh, we appreciate anything you give because uh, you know it helps us, gives us options uh, now and in the future. And if you'd like to email the show, you can do so at irreverentpod at gmail.com. We do like to receive your emails. We read all of them, respond to all of them pretty much. And uh, they obviously help us with the show because we often read them out as well. Sometimes funny, sometimes serious is the one we had today. And uh, follow us on Twitter at irreverentpod. Join our telegram, t.me forward slash irreverent. And I think that's about it. I think it's about all the, the social media stuff. You should end with a prayer. Oh, yeah, for sure. Who wants to do it? Daniel. I'll do a blessing. May God give you the grace to follow his saints. May you take up your cross daily 
knowing that he who asks us of you says that his yoke is easy, his burden light. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always. Amen. 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 Well, thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Goodbye now. <laughs>